I was still a junior. I was probably 19 years old. I answered a call that we, at that time, we served Ettrick's area. And it was a car crash near Matoga High School. And a boy that I went to high school with was in that car. It was a fatality. Oh, wow. And that, that, was, that was a tough, tough call. And I, I mean, I remember that I just, I mean, I, that night, I actually, I mean, I had to leave the crew building. I couldn't stay up here. Because, I mean, those are things that, you know, you people you grew up with and, you know, we're supposed to be friends for life. And this boy was still like 19 years old. And, and unfortunately, I remember that. It's like it happened yesterday. Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson. Now, today's episode, we're going to hear from a true legend in the field of EMS in and around Central Virginia and across the Commonwealth. Edward Bubby Bish, the current Director of Operations for the Southside Virginia Emergency Crew in Petersburg, Virginia, has been with that organization for 55 years. He's also been indoctrinated into the Virginia Life-Saving and Rescue Hall of Fame in Roanoke, Virginia, because of all of the work that he's done, not only in Petersburg with the Southside Virginia Emergency Crew, but all across the Commonwealth. And you're going to hear some of his stories today on the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. Please welcome Bubby Bish. Him and I came very close, truthfully, when he came here. We met before he came to be the fire chief, just meet and greet. And um, <clears throat> we came very close, and we discussed a lot of things. Both of his, of good of the same ideas and the views of how EMS should be in Petersburg. And when he, when he left the city of Petersburg, he called me one day, his last day. He said, what are you doing? I said, nothing. He said, I'm waiting for you to call me. I can't laugh. He said, meet me down on Washington Street. I said, sure. I went down there, and I've always, I mean, I thought the world of him, and he gave it to me, and I still have it. I have his fire helmet that he gave me, that fire chief helmet, and I said, well, you got to sign it. You got to sign it. So he signed the fire, and I still have it in my EMS-1 vehicle right now. I carry it everywhere I go. Awesome. And I call him about once a month or every other month, and he'll call me and say, what's going on? Same old stuff, brother. You know, hasn't changed a whole lot. Yeah. So, he's yeah. Uh, he's a he's a good guy. I mean, I, I, I Either, I'm like this. Either you liked him or you didn't like yeah. him. And we just hit it off from the very beginning. Yeah. he's When he came to Chester, he was the only – he was – and I think, I'm pretty sure to this day, the only officer that ever got hired from the outside in. Everybody else has been promoted, with the exception of Chief Center. Um, mm-hmm. he, you know, he got hired in from the outside, but right. Ruben came in as a battalion chief under Eanes for right. training. And flipping did us – solid work and got us on the map in a lot of different ways. And what I told him too when he was from here, he was just steady spending. I said, I said, gee, Ruben, <laughs> buddy, they don't have the money, you're spending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 he's he's a good guy, man. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to talking to him yeah. catching up. But um, so we're sitting in the Southside Virginia Emergency Group, which started, if I got my notes right, 1945. That's correct. And Ever since I can remember, you've been a part of this organization. Now, I, I didn't start in the EMS world till we'll call it the early 80s. Yeah. 
and you were here then. Um, how did you get started in, in the volunteer rescue squads? Well, it's really, it's really strange. Um, I lived in Petersburg pretty much all my life, and I lived on a, um, as a kid, four years old, I lived on a street called Clayton Street. And at the time, the emergency crew was located on Wood Street, which is about three blocks away. And I had an asthmatic problem, and I was choking one night, and I turned blue, and my mother called the emergency crew. They were there right away. And according to her, you know, I was choking real bad. They saved my life. And from the years I remember things going on, got older, she told me, boy, when you get old enough, you go join that emergency crew. So when I got old enough, I joined that emergency crew, and I've been here for 55 years since. 55 years. That's like three careers for most folks. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'll be honest with you, um, even though when I got in the emergency crew, we were not in this building here. We were on, still on Whiff Street. But every day is like my first day. I just love people, and people in general do a gr you know, great job. They appreciate what we do in EMS and fire, and um, I just enjoy what I do. So how old were you when you started, when, they, when you were eligible to start? 16, 16, 16 years old, yeah. What, what could you do back then? I just did, a, did an episode with um, three of the guys who were junior members way before I was a junior member, but they were kind of the senior members in Lakeside when I came along, and they were kind of my mentors growing up, and they told some stories about some of the stuff they were able to do and some of the things they did anyway. Yep. So what, what types yeah. of things as a 16-year-old Southside Virginia were you able to do? Well, I was, a, like I say, a junior, and the only thing we had training then was first aid. And I had a lot of mentors that worked with me and let me do things and taught me a lot. Of course, one was Monk Jarvis. Uh, he taught me not just on the first aid part, but vehicle education and, and things like that. And of course, we had a gentleman named P.T. Barfield, and he, he more or less worked with me on uh, structures how to run an organization. He was more of a political type person instead of the first aid part. <clears throat> but I just had different ones that, that really worked with me and, and just just took me under their wing. And uh, I mean, at one time, you know, the, you know, I was sitting there thinking, you know, what what can I do to make it better and things like this. And of course, as as I went on and got older, I, I formed a junior senior training program. Because at the time, you had to be 21 years old to get in the senior crew. Well, most, I say kids, or us young people, got 18, 19 years old, and we were still called a junior. Mm, you know, had a, a little... I'm 18. I'm not a junior. Exactly. <clears throat> so I set up this training program, and what the training program was, to give them more opportunity to do things. Now, EMT had come along uh, in 75. I took my first EMT class, I think it was 75 or 76, uh, the first one that John Tyler ever taught. And I took it there, and that's what we did. And I got them to get more responsibility, and the idea of me was to get more responsibility to learn more on the EMS field. And the big thing was, well, we were still all volunteer then. The day you turned 21, you were cleared, ready to go. You didn't have to wait, go to another precept program. And that worked for years and years and years, and um, it, that's pretty much what I've been doing. So as a 16, even that 16, <coughs> 17, 18-year-old crews that were around at the time, could they ride on the ambulance? Could they, were, were you, because like in, in Lakeside back then, it was, you had a seven-digit number you called when you needed an ambulance. You didn't call 911. Right. What, yeah. what, what was the scenario like here? What were those <coughs> mem junior members getting to do? Or were they just around the station kind of learning and soaking up knowledge? No, actually, we, of course, ran from the station. We had to come here to run. And we went on ambulances just like everybody else did. Yeah. We were more or less a... Um, Go get this. Go get that. And but people like Monk, you know, he would say, "Bobby, uh, this is a, a a fracture." He would say, "Help me out with it." And I would do just like he would do. Uh, not every senior member was, was that um, select to let you do that. But we we spent a lot of time. 
I look back at it, and I don't know how in the world I ever had time because um, <clears throat> when I grew up, I played football, baseball, and basketball for Peaceburg High School. And when I f doing training or whatever with football team or baseball or whatever, I was pulling crew duty. I never missed duty. It was, it was part of my life. It still is, of course. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about Monk Jarvis because his name has actually come up on this podcast. This is the third episode I've heard his name mentioned. Uh, episode one, when we were talking about John Cross being the true, the legends of the volunteer EMS field, and <coughs> you know his, his name came up as a as a as a as a state instructor for basic and light duty rescue, and even the one we when I was talking with Steve and Jim and John, his his name came up again at about about a class that he taught in Richmond. Uh, what was he like to work around in, around here? You know, you mentioned he's a, he was a mentor of yours, but uh, any other good Monk Jarvis stories? Oh, uh, yeah, it was a, uh, quite a few, really. Monk was um, a person who always took time with you. And Monk, actually, I remember, as a matter of fact, uh, we have a trophy case in Monk's name right now. But he took the lease off of a car, you know, the back lease, and, and made them to tools how to get into cars, how to cut the metal in cars. You know, it's much easier today because they made them basically <laughs> aluminum or plastic. But cars in those days were made of, of steel, and he did a, a lot of that. And every time that, and of course, uh, they called him Mr. Ropes because he did the basic and light duty. So every time we get a new junior member, we go, hey, Mr. Jarvis wants to show you how to tie a square knot. Well, we come back two hours later, and guess what? Monk is still got him, teaching him knots and everything else. So it was, it was a... It was good. It was like more like a punishment for a new junior. <laughs> <laughs> An indoctrination. You got you to pay penance to. Yeah. What? Uh, <clears throat> how many junior members did you have back uh, mid seventies or so? We honestly, I, is, I have a picture in my office now. We had twenty to twenty five juniors. It's, it was always there, and I look back at them, and I saw this. I don't know. I read it the other day somewhere. But where are you juniors at now? And we had juniors that were state troopers. We have one that owns his large CPA company. Um, we have one that was a Henrico police officer. Most of them has did fairly, fairly well. Um, we, I still see some of them quite often. Uh, and we, w we tried to have a reunion at one time to all the juniors, but it unfortunately didn't work out. Yeah. <coughs> what, uh, thinking back to some of those early days, what, um, what, were some of the, uh, what was some of the equipment like? Uh, were you in the... Cadillac ambulances, carry-alls, vans? We had the carry-alls. We really did. We had the carry-alls, and, um, and they were very, I mean, you couldn't, once you got the stretcher in there, and you got to remember, you had to pick that rascal up, put it in the truck. Uh, once you got in there and you sat, you were set for good. And I can remember the first large truck, you know, the first large truck we got was a Suave ambulance. And now the Suave could fit almost in the back of the ones we have now, but I remember the carry-alls, and to the, like I said, there was swab ambulances, but we used carry-alls for a year. We had, only can remember we had one van type ambulance, and for some reason, the people that were running the calls at those days just didn't like it. We never bought another van type, mm. just one. Yeah. So check the <coughs> box and moved on from there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any interesting uh, calls or incidents from your, your early days? We, you know, we, I'll talk later about kind of career kind of incidents, but what, what, are you, what about the first calls that you can remember <coughs> running as a, as a junior member? Well, uh, one call I remember distinctly, and um, it was a lady delivering a baby. And um, I went on the call, got there with the, the senior member, and the lady had delivered. And we were getting, getting everything together. Because remember, we only had first aid in those days, and we called for the other ambulance to come. And um, I was scared to death. 
And the lady kept saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have another baby. I'm going to have another baby. And the, the senior member said, did anybody tell you you was having twins? And she goes, no, nobody ever told me that. He said, hmm, Bobby, no, don't do it. Never mind. Let me look. And he looked at me, and he was just as color was gone. He said, she's having another baby. She's having twins. <laughs> yeah. Here's a newsflash. Yeah, and I can remember that, honestly, like it was just like it was yesterday. It was one of those one of those calls. And and then, of course, I remember a call that I was I was still a junior. I was probably 19 years old. I answered a call that we, at that time, we served Ettrick's area. And it was a car crash near Matoga High School. And a boy that I went to high school with was in that car. It was a fatality. Oh, wow. And that, that, was, that was a tough, tough call. And I, I mean, I remember that I just, I mean, I, that night, I actually, I mean, I had to leave the crew building. I couldn't stay up here. Because, I mean, those are things that, you know, you people you grew up with. And, you know, we're supposed to be friends for life. And this boy was still, like, 19 years old. And, and unfortunately, I remember that. It's like it happened yesterday. So this was probably what year? This was still probably 70, 71. Mm-hmm. So this was a uh, long time before things like um, stress debriefings oh, and yeah. all that came into play. How did, how did you deal with that as a young young member going forward? I mean, just what, what kept you in the business? What, or was there an opportunity that you thought about, i got to get out of this because I just can't do this anymore? It never crossed my mind, but I did do, though. I had, like I say, Monk Jarvis and, and the Dickie Barfields. And because it is like the second day or the very next day, I don't remember which one. I just said to myself, I, you know, I've got I got to vent to somebody about this, and I did. Came right up, to, right up here, and um, and we sat and talked about it, and and they all they did was just listen, and then they would go, but yeah, but suppose you hadn't been there, you know, and it, it's it they they played in their days, the debriefing part, and they were they were a big asset to me, because see when I grew up, uh, it was just myself, my mother, and my brother. My dad was always on life, but you know, mom, I didn't want to bother her with that. You know, mm-hmm. and my brother, he was in the crew. He was in the crew, too. But I depended on the older members of the crew because they were your family in those days. They really were. They were the men that when my dad wasn't around, I went to. So it was a pretty good deal. So it was a, an unofficial stress mm-hmm. debriefing yeah. uh, that uh, kind of worked out. Good. Mm-hmm. So wh- where did you uh, what did you do after high school? Uh, obviously, this is a volunteer organization, and they, the pay is not that great. Um, what did you do after high school? Well, actually, I went to, went to technical school and learned le- electronics. And I went to work for a company called P&R Business Machines, and it was one of the gentlemen that owned that, offered me a job working on office machine products. And I worked for him quite a while. I say quite a while, maybe five or six years maybe. And Petersburg Schools at the time was had a lot of uh, electronic equipment. So, And I knew one of the guys worked there, and he offered me a job. And so I didn't want to leave Mr. Robinson and them because they were very good to me, but it was a great opportunity. So I worked for Petersburg Schools as an electronic technician for about 18 years. I did, I did and those will look back and sound funny, but the 16 millimeter, 16 millimeter projectors, uh, overhead projectors, and, and then... Slide, the 35... Uh, oh, yeah, the 35 sort of slide. <laughs> and then later on, probably like my 15th year or whatever it was, they came with this word called computer <laughs> and I'm going we need you to learn how to work on a computer well okay how do you turn it on so I did I, I went to I, I self-taught myself a lot by working on the electronic part of the computers which are a whole lot you could do and then Colonial Heights offered me a job and I went to Colonial Heights for 14 years and remained electronic technician over there and I did I did work on some computers but mostly I worked on all the other electronic equipment the bird alarms uh, I mean, just anything that was electronic, 
uh, LCD projectors in the ceilings. I ran all the cable and the wires for them. I set a lot of the computer labs up just by, you know, don't tell me what needs to be done. I got I had the knowledge, and that's what I did. And I retired from Clarion High Schools in 2006. And all the while, still, uh, still pulling duty crew and riding at the squad. Yeah, absolutely. What, what were duty crews like at, at Southside Virginia? Is it uh, you do once a week, a uh, couple days a week? What was that looking like? Well, at a, at a junior, I, I back up at a junior. The biggest fights we ever had was fights in the rescue squad. Well, not really fights, okay. arguments, oh, arguments. Okay, okay. But I call it fights. The biggest thing we had was I want to pull duty on Friday and Saturday night. As a so, junior. Oh, as a junior. You had every junior world want to be up here and ride. And then as time went on and got the senior crew, we got new members, but a lot of the juniors became seniors. And on Fridays and Saturdays and Sunday nights, there was too many people for trucks. It was just amazing how many people were around. And as time went on, people, you know, they got jobs, they got families, and everybody just went their, their separate ways. And, and like I said, I'm, I am the oldest one here right now that from the old days. Yeah. So you're the senior member. The senior, senior member, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> Over that course of the career, I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot of stuff I know you did, um, not just here in Petersburg and the surrounding areas, but for the state. Um, you wound up serving with the state association, too, didn't you? Yeah, I've been with VABRS for 30-plus years. I've served in every position, as, even as president. Uh, that was a re just, to me, rewarding to have the opportunity to work with other people through the Commonwealth and meet people. Um, also, I do I'm the emergency VA operation course coordinator for the state. And, um, yeah, I've been with all VABRs a long time also. <coughs> if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I, we were kind of, I guess I was the committee chair for the ENT contest, and you were doing the EVOC contest. Yeah, yeah. Um, any interesting stories from EVOC contest at the VRVRS convention? Well, it was. It seemed like I was the person they always picked on. I mean, I was the chair, and I ran the contest. <clears throat> and a couple of times they, they tried to get me really good, and, and a couple of times they did. There was a gentleman named um, Al Smith, who's from Danville, and there was a first sergeant of Virginia State Police named John Bowden. And I was just, I just always gave them a hard time, and I always knew one day they would get me back. So these were competitors? These were contestants? No, they, they were my judges okay, helping me with the contest. Okay, yeah. they were working with you. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, they were your friends? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they decided one day, they were sitting there, and John Bowden said, Bub, we need to get together and take a picture of this group. I said, you know something, you're right. We've been together for years. So we all surrounded each other, and I noticed I was the only one squatted down. Then I said, this is not good. Well, honestly, they surrounded me. They picked me up, put me on a light pole, handcuffed me, tied my feet together, covered me with shaving cream, and left. And then took the picture. Then <laughs> took, oh, yeah, I got, and I still have the picture. Matter of fact, First Sergeant Bowden, before he passed away and retired from Virginia State Police, had that in his office for the longest time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, competitors, um, we, had, we had one guy that was just there to have fun. And we had the course set up, and instead of driving through the course, going and making a left turn, he kept straight. Went riding around the pavilion down at Virginia Beach. I said, where is he going? Well, he was there to have fun and gave me a hard time. That was it. <laughs> yeah. So he was there to get the <coughs> lowest lowest score oh, possible. Oh yeah, he did finish last. <laughs> oh, good for him. Yeah. Well, what, uh, tell me a little bit more, bit more about the time at, for this with the state and VABRS, and what does that group do for the rescue squads over history and even today? Well, one thing we we've, we've changed uh, our avenue of reaching out. We still provide as training, and we use a lot of NFPA standards in our training because again, everybody's working together. Uh, I work real hard with the Virginia Department of Fire Programs, 
and BABRS. So we teach the same EVOC program. It was senseless that we had one program, Department of Fire Programs had one program. So back, I think it was 1995 or somewhere in that area, we met in Salem, Virginia. We sat there for two days, and that was just the first meeting. And now we teach the exact same program, which I think is a great benefit for all fire and EMS people instead of two different courses. Isn't that amazing? Hey, cats and dogs sleeping together and doing the same doing the same program. It was it was it was it was at the beginning. I'm going. I don't know if this is going to work. But the thing was, we all had the same objective. And we put a lot of our stuff, they put a lot of, I say that shouldn't, but they, the uh, programs put a lot of stuff together and it come out to be a really a good program. Uh, it really truthfully did. We renew it every five years. We meet as a group and bring in the family back up to date. It's still going, it's been 30 years? Yeah. 30 so years? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, <coughs> t tell me a little bit more about Southside Virginia Emergency Crew. I mean, it's, um, uh, yeah, I looked at some of the history on the website and it started out, like I said, in the, in the, in the forties, um, and really, really had a bigger footprint than it does today. I mean, it, it covered Hopewell, Colonial Heights, Petersburg, South End <coughs> of Chesterfield, part of Dinwiddie. Yeah. The, the brothers call, I remember going on was a place, I call it Dinwiddie, pool siding. As a junior member, I remember going to pool siding on a car crash. And I was going, where? Because I was a junior, I didn't know. I didn't think we were ever going to get there. Um, the furthest south, I think I went, uh, actually, I guess it was west. I'm sorry, by directions of the east. We went the other side of Waverly one time for a, a sick person. Because at the time, they didn't, they, those days, Waverly That's didn't have the squad. The other side of Prince George. Yeah. That's what, Surrey? Surrey County, maybe? No, we were uh, Waverly. Uh, Waverly. Waverly, yeah, Sussex, Sussex County. I Sussex, guess. Yeah. yeah. It's a long ways away. It is. It's too long for me. And I'm just, but it's, it's been a great, I mean, yeah, we just covered a lot of area. Now, basically, we can serve the city of Petersburg, and we still run about 75, 7,600 calls a year. And if I'm not mistaken, the, the Hopewell Emergency Crew was actually a spinoff of this group. It was. Mm -hmm. And it, it really was. Hopewell Emergency Crew was. And the funny thing about it was, when I look back at things, I always try to read on the emergency crew here in Hopewell because I knew about it. Both of us had the same post office box number. <laughs> I thought that was pretty amazing. A different city, but still had the same. Same P.O. box. Yep. Yep. Let me see, what, where else can we go with this? Well, um, I, I tell you, another I think was very bad for me and for the crew and for the state is when I, was, I served six years on the governor's EMS advisory board. That was, a, and at the time, I was a chair of the emergency operations, and I thought that was a, a great, great opportunity for me. Uh, I learned so much from, from other people. So for, for somebody who doesn't know about it, let's, let's talk about what that is. I mean, that's a governor's appointed board. Which governor? Uh, uh, governor Warner. Warner put you mm -hmm. on. Yeah, yeah. So, so you went up and talked to the governor, and he put uh, you on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We uh, we did, and again, we went through the a lot of regulations, and but the the good part was like the emergency operations working with, unfortunately, late Jim Noggle, and you now working with Karen Owens. It's just absolutely wonderful. It's just a lot of things going on. I remember that we were just setting up or getting ready to do a study on the lane reversal from tidewater. For the hurricane evacuation. Yeah, hurricane. Yeah, so we did that one morning on 64, and it was very educational. Very educational. You <laughs> actually reversed the traffic or put the. Well, we reversed the traffic for about 30 minutes just to see how. And paper looked good. It really did. And really, realistically, because at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, traffic wasn't quite that heavy. It did what it was supposed to do, but I always feared what was going to happen. 
and then as a chair, you, you look at everything after you finish, and I looked at the group of setting, and I said, I, I think what we did was good. I said, we're sending, I don't know how many people, 100,000 people from Tidewater of 64 to 295. Am I right? And they said, yeah. Where did they go to when they get there? <laughs> because it was no direction until we fixed all of that. It was, it was a great experience. Yeah, and, and that group kind of, did the, that group oversee EMS in the state, or were they over the office of EMS? They set regulations? It, well, the Governor's Advisory Board is under the Department of Health, Department. under the Office of EMS. And there was like eight or ten different committees. We handled emergency operations, but it was a, a chance when we met as a group to listen to everybody's ideas and everybody's perspective to make Virginia uh, better as an EMS uh, company, not company, but agency for the citizens of Virginia. Yeah. Uh, what um, go back to just your time in the street and running calls? Um, any through your career, any of the any incidents stand out either? either you know, I mean, we, everybody's been in this business has one they laugh at, and one they cry about, and one they're proud of. So, the one I would know? say I was most scared of, and I really was. Uh, we had a shootout where two Petersburg police officers were shot on 44 Corling Street. And I had duty that day, and a call came in to two officers shot 44 Corling Street. And I was going, oh, my God. So, of course, you get on the radio, scene secure, stand by. By that time, we are about a block away. We could see, see part of the area. Time went by, and I said, I could see people moving. And I said, headquarters, scene secure, scene secure. So the ambulance went first. I had a quick response vehicle. I went in. When I went in, I saw one of the police officers with his gun. I still pointed at the house. The brain kicked in says, it's not secure. <laughs> yeah, when I backed out, the ambulance was pinned down for quite a while. And unfortunately, it was a, another shootout after that shootout. Um, and unfortunately, the, the gentleman they were after uh, ended up being a fatality. And it was such a large event that Petersburg Police had just started their SWAT team, and Chesterfield had their, Chester, they had their team already together. And they came over, and they worked hand-in-hand -hand together to take care of it. One of the police officers was shot, was actually shot in his hand, and uh, he retired from that. And the other police officer was shot in the chest, lung collapsed. Luckily enough, the hospital was so close. And they put him in the police car and took him to the hospital before he got there, and he survived. And he just recently retired, probably in the last eight years, from Petersburg Police Department. Oh, that's good news. I yeah. think those guys survived. Yeah. yeah. And probably one of the funniest things that happened was that working an incident on a crash scene on Interstate 95. And um, we was trying to get things moved around and watched the same person trip over a hose, a fire hose, three times. The and same I, flame fire hose. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I went to say, how many times you could have fallen before you realize that hose is there? And it was just, it just got to be funny. It really did. It was just one of those things, yep. Any, uh, any big practical jokes ever been played at this, uh, this establishment? Uh, the, we used to have tremendous water battles, and every junior we had, being a junior, we always did it. We always had a junior to the flagpole that side and left them at night, and we'd come back and get them, but always worried about, you know, what's going to happen with the parents? So, <laughs> you know, we had always called the parent, but actually before we say, look, this is what we're going to do. Good. You the do that. The yeah. parents were <laughs> in on it. Yeah, yeah. And then the water battles, of course. My biggest thing was they, they always drenched me, so I knew the day we was going to have a water battle. I went out on the garage roof. I had two five-gallon buckets of water. Like the main instigator, I was going to make sure I got him. So when I did, I was sitting out there, sitting on the roof, holding that bucket. He walked, and he was looking for me left and right. 
And I called him. His name was Wim. I said, Wim. He looked up. Well, he got yes, shot. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, one one incident I know that happened in Petersburg. Um, I'm kind of digging into a little bit more. I got a book I'm reading now on it. Uh, was a Market Street fire when Mike Golf was killed. Yeah. Were you there? Yes, I was. Tell me about that call. Well, it's um, like I say, I got there. We as a crew got there after the explosion, and we were working the scene. And Mike was still there at the time, and um, yeah, he was just there. And that's when he went between the buildings. That's when the major explosion happened. He was actually, as I remember, between the building was there and the progress index. And, uh, and Mike at the time was a member here. Really? Yeah, he was a member here at the same time. And Mike and I had a lot of good times together. And um, Chief Rakestraw was injured. Deputy Chief Jumbo Rice was injured. Um, I think they were the two ones that injured the most. One thing I remember on that call the next day, of course, I was still down on the scene, and there was a plastic fork across the street at the drugstore that was embedded into the wall. Like it was just forced, much force to put that plastic fork Because of the explosion. Yeah, yeah. And of course they lost, I know they lost one fire truck over the ordeal. And I I think that that's when new training started taking place. You know, you pull right in front of the incident instead of, you know, thinking what really going to happen. Because nothing ever happened like that ever before, of Mm -hmm. course, of course. And, um, and of course, a, a lady was killed in that in that fire in that explosion. Also, yeah, that, that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. Yeah, I know. I know a couple of. There's a book I've got was written, I guess maybe in the late '90s, and it, it chronicles a couple of firefighter fatalities. And the more I'm reading that book, the more the names I'm recognizing of people mm-hmm. I knew, know, and worked with that yeah. either worked in Petersburg, still worked in Petersburg or Colonial Heights, or came to Chesterfield. So. Yeah, that, well, that group's gonna. Petersburg Fires had a couple reunions down there. It's been a couple years ago. Matter of fact, Chief Rubin was here. We did one down there, and they gave me the opportunity to be one of the speakers. And uh, Mike was a good guy. I mean, he, he really, really was. He always gave a hundred percent. You know, here in the emergency crew at Petersburg Fire, he just—he was just a dedicated person. It was a, that was a that was a tremendous loss to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, we will have a we'll have an episode. I'm, I want to talk to those guys and maybe piece together maybe what you said here and I yeah. talked with uh, Chris Udaley. Oh yeah. He was uh, he was the call taker that night. Yeah. And I uh, got his side of the story and uh, I think Glenn Dean who went to work mm-hmm. for the state fire marshal's yes, office talked to him and got a little bit of his story so a few more to get on that. Yeah. Before. That was a, that was just a tragic tragic. I mean anything like it's tragic but when it's right at home it's like you see almost every day something like do, that. Yeah. And I'm sure Mike was there reason i think i think everybody has an opinion i think he had an idea that lady was back there somewhere and needed help and i think that's why he went i, I just he just wouldn't have went between them two buildings for no reason, for no reason yeah. so he had a purpose behind yeah. for being there and just having to be in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah yeah let's well, uh to maybe some better news um uh, out in roanoke there's a museum uh, that's dedicated to the volunteer rescue squads in the state. Um, and there's a Hall of Fame there. A guy by the name of Monk Jarvis, as well as a couple other names, are mm-hmm. uh, part of that. And you're also part of that, yeah. uh, being one of the named to the Hall of Fame back in 2009 because of your service there, both to here in Petersburg and VAVRS and the Governor's Advisory Council and all the other work you've done. What uh, Tell me about that. Well, 
that was a tremendous honor. It really was. That's when I realized I was really getting old. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, and uh, it was a tremendous honor. I never ever expected to be inducted into the, you know, the Hall of Fame. But it's a lot of great people in there. And I think about it truthfully is, when I when I got it and got back home, I thought about the Monk Jarvis's, P.T. Barfields, uh, Carol Hawks, uh, people like that who've been involved with the with the state all these years. And and I look back when I was a younger person in the crew and they, I looked up to those guys and that's what they did. All I heard was the AVRS and and then I became part of it. And it still am a part of it. And um, yeah, the Hall of Fame was pretty good. It really is a great honor. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Roanoke was the first volunteer rescue squad in the state. I forget the year, but Julian Wise was the mm -hmm. founder of that and he was he is the first person that was in the Hall of Fame and yeah. uh, I think there's 20 or so other members and I looked through the list today and there's a handful of them in there. I remember when I was coming up in the rescue squad, the J.C. Phillips. Oh, and, yeah. You know, a lot yeah. of that group. But uh, Yeah, I think, I think I'm think i not going to square it, but I think Roanoke Lifesaving Crew was formed in 1935. Yeah. For some reason, that sticks in my, in my brain. But you're right. I mean, and these people are still doing things, especially J.C. Phillips. He's still involved with VAVRS. Yep. And, um, and his wife, Fran, is still involved with VAVRS. And it's, it's just a great group, great yep. group of people. Well, do you've got, uh, you said, 54 years of... Uh, of 50, 55. 55 <laughs> years. I was trying to be generous. With <laughs> no, you, no. Um, if you could go back to, to one of those positions, whether it's president of VAVRS, the governor's count, uh, advisory council, um, the junior volunteer member, uh, EVOC contest chair, which one do you think was your favorite or you want to go back and do again? If you could pick one, it's gonna, that's, that's what you're going to mm -hmm. do for the rest of your time. Right. That's one you're going to do. And, and why is that important to you or why was that your favorite? When I was elected as a captain of the crew here, that was my first year as captain was probably, I thought it was a dream because I had been involved with a junior and come through the years of being, you know, working with everybody up here and then, I was asked, why don't you run for the position of the crew? So I ran for training officer, which was good. Don't misunderstand me. Uh, then I, I did something else I can't remember. I became the, in charge of the junior crew. That was wonderful because I was one. And then when they asked me to run for captain of the crew, <laughs> that was the best. Is that like the – that's the top operational yeah. position in the, in the mm -hmm. crew? Yeah. As a volunteer crew, that was the top operation. And we have a lot of pictures of people on the wall here, the crew, and everybody was captain. And it was, again, most people here became captain of the crew for two years. That was the limit by the, by the bylaws, and it still is. Um, but as time went on, I became captain more and more and more, and I've been captain. I was captain more than anybody else in the crew ever of the volunteer. And I was going, man, they just see sucker road all over. <laughs> <laughs> so either you're good at it. That, that would be my vote. Uh, they just say, well, well, Bobby will do it. Let's get it to him. So also with 55 years of service, yeah, let's, let's say um, you get the chance to talk to a graduating ENT class that's coming out of school today that wants to get in this business, whether it's volunteer or the career side, or they just want to ride ambulances. Uh, what, what piece of advice do you think you could give them to, so that they can have a 55-year career in the, in the business? First of all, as always, be safe. But I tell them, and I just, just recently did this at a, a group was here, and, and these are all EMA, EMS people, get involved. Get involved with your love is. You love EMS, get involved. Get involved with VAVRS. Get involved with, if you, and we have a lot of, too, of fire and EMS. Get involved with your agencies. Get involved with state programs. Like me being on the governor's EMS advisory board, I think it, was, it put a, a different perspective in me to help more people. 
because it, it, you see a lot of people trying to do the right thing. And I told them, you don't get involved, you're going to miss the boat. You're, you're going to have people making decisions for you that you have no input. You have, everybody has good ideas. And you know, there are some bad ideas, you don't miss the Sandy, but get involved. And uh, I just tell them a little bit what I have done through the years. And I always tell them, you know, they'll ask me the same thing. What do you remember? Well, there's a lot of things I remember. And I told them, I said, you know, I went to the Pentagon when our country was attacked. Not many people have that opportunity. I said, you know, I went to the Pentagon because I was a, the commander of a task force. And I just couldn't believe my eyes. And this is world history. It's not just Virginia history or Northern Virginia history or D.C. history. This is world history, and you're being a part of it. And I spent three or four days there, and um, I remember things up there like it just happened yesterday. It was a great opportunity. But if I hadn't been involved, I never would have went. I never would have had that opportunity. So how did you get involved in that as a, as a <coughs> EMS task force from Virginia? Was it time with VA, VRS? Or? No, it was w with the Virginia Office of EMS. Okay. Uh, we formed, at the time, there was EMS task forces throughout Virginia. And the one that I was commander of was the Crater 6 EMS task force. We had members there from almost every agency in, in the Tri-Cities. Hopewell, Prince George, Colonial. I mean, everybody was part of it. I had about 30 to 40 people. And during 9-11, we were deployed. And we didn't know where we were going. We left here. We know we'd be gone for three to four days. We had supplies, clothing, and everything. And we got to Northern Virginia. Actually, we didn't get to Northern Virginia. We got to Fredericksburg. And we staged a life care ambulance service. And we were there forever, it seemed like. And then they finally came out at 1130 at night and said, look, uh, we're not going any further. Y'all need to go back home. Well, we did our job. We came back home. When I got back home, I got a call from, I believe it was Jim Nagua, I believe, and said, we need you to go to the Pentagon for three or four days. And we need to take somebody with you that you can depend on. Well, my deputy commander at the time was Dave Salat, who was a Colonial Heights firefighter. And uh, he later came on deputy fire chief in Colonial Heights. And we went up there for three or four days and we hit, we had a great time we worked the whole time um the only difficult problem we had seemed like everybody else had a nice place to go to sleep we slept on a trailer <laughs> but it was very rewarding we just had like i say being involved gave me that opportunity to have that to go to the, to go to the pentagon and be part of that uh, i can remember things that happened i remember the night I, I keep saying it was a saturday night i guess it was that the family members came in that was at the pentagon on a bus it was so quiet Nobody was saying a word because people were visiting. The family members were at the Pentagon visiting. Family of the people who had been yeah. killed at the Pentagon? Yeah, that been on the plane. It was just unbelievable. And not just that, is that how the different organizations set up tents to feed everybody. How will, and I remember, I remember distinctly not doing a commercial for Walmart, but I remember trucks rolling in continuously bringing food and vegetables and everything and fruits to people that we were there. It was remarkable, totally remarkable. Yeah. And we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of that yeah. date. I, I'm, I remember, remember it like it was yesterday. I was in the office, and I, I saw the news when the second plane hit, and Bobby Ralston and I were standing there looking at each other, and both of us looked at each other at the same time, and so much for the accident. And yeah. We knew then something was up. Yeah, I remember I worked at Clark High Schools, and my pager, we didn't have a cell phone. My pager was steady going on. It was off of EMS 911. So I finally went over there and called, and I went and got my boss. I said, this is what's going on. He said, go. No, no so questions asked. Your, 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 your job yeah. knew what was going on, knew what you did, and yeah. said, go get them. Go get them. And they let, and I was gone for four days, and we're total four days. I don't know how much work I missed, but I did miss some work, but it was never hesitation. 
because like I said, it was a, well, I don't need to tell you, it's just, just bad. Yeah. Yep. Any other, <laughs> I mean, that might be the big one, but uh, any other big story, big incidents that uh, happened? I mean, I know there was a tornado that blew through here back in the early 90s, too. It did, and actually, uh, believe it or not, on that, when the, hurry, when the tornado came through, I was at Virginia Beach during a VAVRS meeting. <laughs> And I walked in that it's meeting. It's a good place to be when the, when oh, the yeah. tornado comes through Petersburg. Yeah, and then I, I walked in, and they were just, you need to call the city of Petersburg. Why? I don't know. They're calling the hotel. They, you need to call now. So I called, and they were going. And actually, I called. Of all people to answer the phone was Max Frazier. You know Max. I know Max. And I was going, what's going on? I ain't got time to talk. Max, what's going on? I ain't got time to talk. Max, what's going on? He hung up on me. <laughs> so I called him back. You want your job. You better talk to me, boy. Then he told me what happened, and then, of course, I left and came back to the city of Petersburg. And that, that was one of the things on a Friday when it happened, you know. And I came back there Saturday morning and stayed all weekend. And uh, a friend of mine, we went down there doing, just going through so what we could do. And we can never forget this. We was in front of a, a furniture company called The Oak. And we sat there talking, looking. And we walked away, I'm going to say probably less than 15 feet. The whole front of that building slid off because there was a fake front end right where we were standing. I looked at him, he looked at me, and he says, he told me, I'm not walking with you no more. <laughs> but it did, it all happened. And that thing been there since all, you know, almost. Sitting like, for a day. Yeah. And it slid off the wall, right onto the concrete as we walked away. But uh, I was I was not here on that one. I was at Virginia Beach doing something else. <laughs> yeah. It's a good place to be when the, when the hurricane hit, or the tornado, tornado hits, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so any other big incidents uh, you remember responding to or uh, any memorable calls? Or? I don't remember, you know, word for word but when the toll booth was here in petersburg on 95 yeah we had quite a few crashes there i mean i can remember that we remember that we went there and it was a tractor and trailer up in the toll plaza so we thought when we got there that's all we could see there was a big truck up at the toll plaza we got there and started getting out of look there was a car underneath the tractor and trailer so that was that was pretty bad and again that was a, that was a long time ago and I don't know who designed those toll plazas, but they did not do a good job. Yeah. It was on a curve and on a hill. So. I wonder. I wonder how many people actually listen to this remember the toll plazas um, on ninety five because yeah. there were a few of them. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Um, you know, you know, this you know, kind of one of the things I want to chronicle on here is kind of uh, traditions and legacies and history. And you know, what do you think from the EMS organizational perspective? Do you think has changed? culturally within EMS over the course of your career that it's it's a sad sight that there that that tradition is no longer here or it's changed to the point that it's you know the people today coming on don't appreciate the culture that we had when you and you and I were coming up yeah. well it, it does sad because the volunteer the EMS is way down throughout the Commonwealth it really is uh, people used to blame EMT on it it's not EMT's fault they what they did they trained us better they trained us to save more lives. I've, I've always believed in the um, the training that we do because it does save lives. And I remember, of course, when I went my first EMT class, and I said the same thing about it. I said, what do they think they are? We are doctors and like this. And I remember that, I don't remember the exact number, but I'm going to tell you that the first EMT class I went to at John Tyler, I'm going to say it was 20 people in the class. We took the first break that night, and only about 8 to 10 came back. Because it, it just frightened them. It just they totally seemed. But I think it's, you know, I, I understand people have lives to live, and I know they're, they're busy. But I've always said, in some way or some form, you need to get back to your community. 
And I think this is the way I had the great opportunity to doing it. But, um, you know, it is a lot involved in training. It really is. And I see the ALS Advanced Life Support improving all the time. Uh, I look back at the old Life Pack 5s we used to have. And they were not dependable at all. Go back to the data scopes. What are you? Yeah, doing? Exactly, exactly. Come on, let's go way yeah, back right. in the way back machine. Yeah, but the thing of it is, though, but now with the equipment we have now, we're so much better trained. Um, I don't think there's no rhyme or reason. Um, you know how we? I don't know how we can improve it. We promote it. VAVRs promotes it. A lot of volunteer fire associations promote it. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't know what the answer really, really is. Um, We've had a difficult time here. We have a career staff, and we've had a difficult time, you know, keeping career staff. And I think COVID-19 scared a lot of folks in this type of business, not just in EMS, but I'm talking healthcare alone. So all we can do is continue on being positive when we talk about EMS and fire and volunteering in Virginia or even if you want a career. I mean, great, it's a great job in Korea and in the fire and EMS business. But, you know, we've got to figure out a way to make it encouraging um, I really don't. I know they think the money is great. It's not about the money. It's really to me. It's never about the money. It's helping someone that needs your help. And um, I really wish I knew what the answer was to get more people to volunteer. Our volunteer group here is really in um, in the past three or four years have really increased. Uh, I think one thing is EMT classes. They know they come here in in, in Petersburg. They gonna get the experience quicker here and and then different localities that you run with because we have so many different <laughs> things that happen here and we have an older population too but it gives everybody the opportunity to learn ems right here in petersburg so you still got a volunteer contingent uh, you mentioned the career staff too um how, how many ambulances do you staff out of here on a given day we actually have what we call 2.5 two of them 24 hours seven days a week and we have a what i call a half truck runs from 12 hours a day for eight morning to eight at night uh, I have talked to the city of Petersburg about staffing that third truck instead of half a day, a full, a full, full 24. And that's what we'd like to do with some financial assistance from the city. Because it's not going to pay for itself, but it is going to make a difference in some people that live or die. Yeah. Well, it certainly is, uh, I mean, running 7,500, 8,000 calls a, a year is no, nothing to laugh at and it's nothing to sneeze at. It's, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the ambulance went out of here just a few minutes ago before we started, before we pushed record and yeah. doing the job so well i tell you one thing too in the city we're very fortunate to have petersburg fire uh, they have been a partner with us from day one uh, and that, again i was captain volunteer crew and we started working things together has it always been pleasant no it has not but it's like anything else you continue to work at it it will work itself out and i can tell you as right there in 2021 we have a great partnership with them they go on calls with us we exchange ideas uh, we even offered the training to CEUs. We're working on a program now that they can come here during the shift and get CEUs. We want to do it three days a week because they have three shifts. We're going to make sure they get their continuing ads. And again, when they get like they just uh, hired some new firefighters, and part of their training was coming here. They walked around, met everybody, seen the building, went over our trucks so they know the equipment is, know what we do. And I, that's a win-win. That's a win. It's all about, yeah, I think it's all about the relationships, too. The, oh, yeah. the first time to meet somebody's not 3 o'clock in the morning <laughs> on the side of the interstate <laughs> or right. in the middle of the house. So, yeah. 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 That's yeah. a good thing. Well, um, anything else you want to share, or thoughts, ideas, comments, or stories well, from your, your career? This is, I mean, it's just been overwhelming great. I, that's all I can say. I mean, I have no regrets whatsoever. Um, 
I said, I wish I'd started earlier. Well, I couldn't start earlier because it wouldn't <laughs> let me. But again, I, I mean, I remember from the first aid to the EMT and, and ALS, and it's been a great opportunity. And I encourage people to get in. If you can do fire EMS, stay involved. Just don't treat it as a job. Stay involved. Be part of it and make it successful. Anybody, uh, anybody around Petersburg or this area who wants to become part of this organization, how do they do that? Well, they can, they can say they, we have a, we're listed on the website at, at www.svecems.org. Um, or you can call Petersburg Police Department on the non-emergency number, of course, and we'll reach out to them. And, again, we encourage that. We want them to come and see what the property we have here, what we can offer them, and what they can do maybe as a career. Absolutely. That's awesome. Uh, Edward Bubby Bish, uh, <laughs> 55 years in the EMS service and certainly a, a legend around Virginia. He's in the Hall of Fame in Roanoke and um, a dis pretty distinguished career. And I, I want to thank you for your friendship because we've, we've known each other for a few years and done some yeah. done a little bit of work together on the EMT contest and the yeah. EVOC contest. I've enjoyed every minute of it. So Me uh, too. Me too, Rob. I love it. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. Know. you. Mm -hmm. And thanks again for listening to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast, and thanks to Bubby for spending some time with me today on this episode. And if uh, you've got any feedback for him or me or suggestions for what you'd like to hear on this podcast in the future, be sure to drop me a note at firehouselogbook at gmail.com or follow along on Twitter at FDLogbook or Instagram at FDLogbookPodcast. And make sure you follow us on Facebook as well. When we post uh, episodes up, we'll be sure and include pictures of the guests uh, so you'll know what they look like as they're talking to you. Also, uh, make sure you sub hit subscribe, give us a rating, and provide a review on whatever podcasting platform you listen. Uh, we do appreciate that and look forward to hearing from you all as well. <laughs>